0: And I think with really good kid books, they're meant to be read by kids and adults. So it's the kind of book that people will say it's for ages 10 and up. So a 10 year old could read it, but a 50 year old or a 70 year old can read it and also get something out of it because there's again, something deep in the story. The writing is beautiful and lyrical and you can't put it down. I mean, this is a story that I think when you start reading it, you just wanna know what's gonna happen.
1: Book Society podcast. Welcome. I just realized that in 45 episodes of the Book Society podcast, I don't think I've ever said my own name. So we're going to start today. I'm Lucas Cantor Santiago. I'm the host of the show. You would know that if you read the show notes, but if you just listen to the show, you would never know that. So now you know, but I'm not that important. I'm just hosting the show. I'm just asking questions. I'm just bringing brilliant authors like Ruth Behar. She is Cuban born, but she is from Poland. She grew up in Queens Go Mets, but not really. This podcast is officially a Dodgers podcast, but Go Mets. She's born in Queens. She moved to Queens when she was five years old. She has a PhD in anthropology from a little university known as Princeton. She is the author of a lot of books Traveling Heavy, A Memoir in Between Journeys, An Island Called Home, Returning to Jewish Cuba, The Vulnerable Observer, Anthropology That Breaks Your Heart. That is an amazing title. <laughs> Translated Woman, Crossing the Border with Esperanza's Story. Several young adult titles, Fortuna's New House. Letters from Cuba, which we're going to talk about later. Lucky Broken Girl. These are just her titles in English. She's extremely prolific. I was just looking up your bibliography, and it looks like you're writing about a book a year, which is just crazy. So as a person who is in the middle of his first book with no end in sight, I admire someone who has published many of them. So... Ruth Behar, welcome to the podcast. The book that you chose to discuss today is The Hundred Dresses by Eleanor Estes from Houghton Mifflin, published in the ripe old year of 1944. Tell us a little bit about why you picked this book and a little bit about the book itself.
0: Absolutely. Well, there's so many books I could have chosen. I had so many different ideas in my head. Kafka. I mean, I was so many books, but I am writing for kids now writing these middle grade or young adult novels, as you said, and I've just written a picture book, Tia Fortuna's New Home. So I'm thinking a lot about literature for kids. The 100 Dresses is a book that I read at the very beginning of my journey of starting to write for young people. I heard about the book, I picked it up right away, and it just really, really moved me. I'm very drawn to books that have a deep message, but are written in very accessible, simple, poetic language. Many things, I'm sure we'll talk about them, but just the role of the dress. I mean, just so many things in this story, the role of the imagination. It is a story that's so philosophical in many ways and so deep. At the same time, it's so simply told. You can finish this book in about 30 minutes, you can read the entire book. So that's kind of nice that you get this incredible story. In such a short amount of time, you can read an entire book. And I just thought this is a book that definitely appeals to the child, but can also appeal to the child inside the adult. And I feel that's what it does for me.
1: Yeah, it brought me right back to middle school a little bit. And it's a story for the listeners who haven't read it and don't have in half an hour to go read it. It really is like 80 pages of large, well-spaced type. That's probably like 10,000 words, maybe.
0: Probably less than that. But every word matters on the page. Every word is so well chosen. It's almost like poetry in that regard. Everything that's there needs to be there. And you just kind of go, wow, how did she make these decisions? Did she have a longer story that she then trimmed down to the short story? How did she do it? It's just so complete. And then it's also illustrated and has these really beautiful, beautiful drawings as well by Louis Slobodkin in this edition. And it's just so beautiful too, these moments where you can kind of stop and look at the art as well. And sometimes the art is black and white and sometimes it's in color. Yeah, it's just so beautiful. So I like that. I like the idea of a book that's simple but deep and that also has art. It's all told from the point of view of this girl named Maddie or Madeline, but she goes by Maddie. We're hearing it and seeing the story through her eyes. She is going through a tremendous amount of guilt and regret because she's friends with a girl named Peggy, who's the popular girl in in the group and definitely presented as kind of well-off. And then there's a girl named Wanda Petronski, who is a little Polish girl, and she's the outsider. And she's come into this, what appears to be an already established community of kids at the school in Connecticut. And so she's the outsider. And there's a day where Cecile has a new dress. She's one of the girls in the group and she has a beautiful crimson dress and she's a dancer and all the girls are admiring this dress. Remember, this is the 1940s and girls wore dresses. They didn't wear pants that are not very much. Since everybody's admiring Cecile's dress. And then there comes Wanda with her brother Jake. and Jake goes off and Wanda stays with the other girls to try to, you know, become part of their group. And of course, no one's paying any attention to her. And then she says to Peggy something like, you know, I have all these dresses in my closet and then starts saying that she has a hundred dresses in her closet. And that's laughable to Peggy and the other girls because she looks poor. She lives in a poor neighborhood, Bogan's Heights, I think it's called in the story. And she wears the same blue dress to school every day, but she's claiming to have 100 dresses at home in her closet. And so that leads to a lot of taunting of her and making fun of her and poking fun at her every time. She's around and Peggy is the one that initiates all these taunts. Meanwhile, Maddie is looking on and feeling terrible, but not doing anything about it, staying silent. So it's all a retelling of what happened and Maddie expressing her regrets.
1: Her father's letter, which to me was the emotional centerpiece of the book. He writes, Dear teacher, my Wanda will not come to your school anymore. Jake also. Now we move away to Big City. No more holler Polak. No more ask why funny name. Plenty of funny names in Big City. Yours truly, Jan Petronski. That was so devastating. It's so simple and written by a proud man whose second language is English. The way that they make fun of Wanda in this book is by sort of agreeing with her. Like, oh, you have a hundred dresses and doing this thing that to me as a East Coast patrician person growing up in Connecticut. This is set in Connecticut. It was so familiar. I've had it done to me and I've done it and it is so mean. I don't know if this is universal, but this is something that was very familiar to me and seemed very much of the place where I grew up. It's a way of making fun of people that it doesn't feel bad to you, but hearing the Petrovskis experience of being sort of ostracized in this really subtle way, was just devastating. And it made Maddie feel horrible. It caused her to lose sleep and then they try to make amends. The thing I love about the book is that they never really do.
0: Exactly. I know that's what's so deep about it. And you don't expect to find that in a book for children, right? That it's so deep about like the ethics. What do you do in a situation like that where you're seeing somebody being mistreated? You know, you should stand up and say, stop, but she couldn't do it. It's about her being cowardly and then regretting it, regretting it and crying about it. But now she's gone. There's no way to tell her in person or at least not in the space of the story. And that's so powerful. I feel like the outsiderness of Wanda is captured so so brilliantly what it's like like you said to be ostracized to not be allowed into the group and like you said to be taunted in this genteel kind of way right like agreeing with oh really oh so you have a 100 dresses uh-huh oh they must be quite nice you know and that's so nasty it's actually less nasty to say i don't believe you that's impossible that would be a way of actually engaging with the person but treating the person that way is just so incredibly cruel
1: One of the things I noticed when I moved to Los Angeles from New York is that sort of a mark of friendship in New York is calling your friends on their bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) That makes you closer to someone. And Los Angeles is not that way. In Los Angeles, if someone tells you they have a hundred dresses, you just believe them. Not even sarcastically. you just sure that might be true. You never know who you're talking to. I read in the preface to the edition that I have that Eleanor Estes, this has really happened to her. she was either Maddie or Peggy. She was one of the mean girls in this book. And that she always felt bad. She wrote this book in her 30s or 40s, still remembering this girl that she used to taunt who just one day wasn't in school anymore. And she never in real life got to make amends. And it's amazing to see that the bully is the one who ends up getting hurt in this book. We don't know how badly Wanda was hurt.
0: That's a very, very good point. There's a wonderful line in there about how She's not the bully, but she sort of might as well be. She had stood by silently and that was just as bad. It suggests that Peggy doesn't totally understand that what she's doing is wrong, but Maddie does. But Maddie doesn't stop it, right? And so that's where she's like morally corrupt because she should have done something. This was causing pain and she knew it. Peggy, maybe being the classic bully or doesn't quite realize at what she's doing. Because at the end, Peggy's like, oh, well, you know, she made these pictures for us. And there's a picture that looks like me and a picture that looks like you. So that means that she was thinking about us. And Peggy finds a way to rationalize it and tell herself that what happened wasn't really so bad, right? But that's not true of Maddie. Maddie knows Mm -hmm. it was bad, but did nothing. All she can do now is just think about it, right? And torment herself in a sense about it. So that's so different. It's a different kind of bullying. When you don't stop bullying, I guess you are a bullier too, is what she's saying, but in a different kind of way. And She's a guilt-ridden conspirator with the bullier.
1: (laughs) So do we think Maddie's a Nazi? (laughs) This book was written in 1944.
0: I did think about that. I did think about all of those who stood by and watched a lot of cruelty happening to Jewish people and many others, to gay people, to people who didn't fit the Aryan model and so on. So I did think about that. I'm not sure if that was one of the possible readings of the story. I'm not sure. Could be.
1: It might be because I read letters to Cuba and then this one in that order. I had Nazis on the brain. (laughs) And (laughs) that's all I could think about was in 1944, the questions you would be asking. Or why would this happen? How could people do this? To put it in the voice of a young girl that, you know, she was just trying to go along and she didn't really feel like she was doing anything wrong until she stopped and thought about it. True.
0: Yeah. And I think what's interesting about Maddie, so the whole issue of class is very important and like what your class position is. That's not the word that's used in the book. The book is just, are you poor or not poor? And so we know that Wanda and her family are poor. They are recent immigrants, it appears, from Poland. And we know that from the letter, the father's letter that you just read. He's writing in broken English. So we know that he's an immigrant, that he's new to the United States. And so They have that quality of outsiderness to them and they're poor, right, because they're struggling to make it as immigrants typically do. So the poverty thing is important. The class position is important. And Maddie herself notes that she's poor also, that she doesn't live in that neighborhood where they live, that really terrible neighborhood. And she doesn't have a funny name. So she's able to hide in a sense and not also get taunted as an outsider because she's able to assimilate enough and to fit in enough that she can be part of the group. But she fears that if she doesn't play along with Peggy and the rest of the group that's taunting Wanda, if she doesn't play along, then they might pick on her. So that's another interesting dimension of the story, too. It just rings so true to me. Have you ever bullied or been bullied? I don't want to sound like I'm so virtuous and I've never bullied anybody. I don't know. Maybe I bullied my younger brother at some point when we were kids.
1: That doesn't count. (laughs) I
0: don't know. I think I've tried not to. I think I've often felt more that I can be bullied just because I was an immigrant kid myself. I mean, this may be why I related to this story. I was an immigrant kid from Cuba when I arrived. And I was five and a half and I was just put into a first grade class and didn't know English and definitely felt very, very vulnerable in the playground when we would all go out for recess. I could be like Wanda and just stand there in the corner. I was like really, really afraid. So I don't know that I was bullied, but I think I was definitely left out. A lot and sort of was a loner for a good part of my early childhood, because I think I just didn't know the language and just felt like a stranger. And then eventually I actually made friends with a boy. We were in kind of this remedial reading class in second grade and and he was from Japan, so he didn't speak English either shitaro and so we became friends with one another because we were both kind of strangers you know to the rest of the class so i remember things like that very vividly definitely feeling like the outsider not knowing what the norms were not knowing like when the girls played jump rope not knowing what the jingles were what the songs were and just being very much outside of the group so i think that may be one of the reasons that I found this book interesting too though obviously such a different background Polish from Cuban is like such a hugely different background but nevertheless I think that idea of like being from a different class strata on the one hand so at this point in time in the 40s it's like being poor working class immigrant that puts you in a position that's vulnerable and then also being an immigrant puts you in a position that's vulnerable as well so I think obviously literature evolved a lot after that. And, you know, we have literature about Black Americans, about Latinos, Latinas. I mean, you know, we have many other ways to describe those that are viewed as minority within mainstream American society. But at that time, to be other, to be different was to be a little Polish girl, which I also found very, very interesting because we don't typically think of Polishness as a form of otherness in U.S. culture.
1: Yeah, it's also interesting that to write the story of this little Polish girl. I mean, the story was written by one of the aggressors, ultimately.
0: Yeah, by one of the aggressors or the one that stayed silent. I don't know that I call her an aggressor as such. But yeah, definitely. That's my sense is that she must have witnessed some bullying that she could have stopped but didn't.
1: I have both bullied and been bullied. I didn't realize that I was a bully I don't think I was too bad of a bully, but I think I was a little bit of a bully and I did not realize this till later in life because I lived in Boston for the first nine years of my life and I was the only Puerto Rican kid that anyone had ever met. I didn't know that that made a difference to anyone, but in retrospect, it clearly did. And so I got bullied a little bit and I moved to New York and I got bullied as a middle schooler when I was these kids age. And I remember one day when I was a freshman in high school, a kid who was in a gang of kids who were sort of taunting me, came up to me later and apologized. Ah, You know, he's like, look, I'm sorry, that guy's an asshole. I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm his friend. But also, you don't seem like you're that bad. That really had an effect on me. And I didn't really become friends with him. But I hung out with him a few more times. And then in 10th grade, I just got huge. I mean, we've met in person, I'm now a pretty big dude. And I have been since I was about 15. And so I still had this bullied kid mentality. And my defense mechanism was to be really rude, basically, which is fine if someone's threatening you physically and you're just making fun of them. But it's less fine if you're the one who's physically threatening. And it took me years to realize that I was bigger than everyone and that they might be scared of me if I was standing next to them. So I really related to this story on a lot of levels. I don't think about being bullied really at all that much. You know, you always remember it. But I think about like times when I might have made someone feel bad. I've never forgotten those. Sometimes I do wonder, what is this person who I said some rude thing to in eighth grade doing now? And probably they're fine and they don't think about it.
0: But we do. And I think that's so interesting how your physical size started to gradually change how you viewed yourself as well. It also shows us just how powerful words are, you know, the words that you say or don't say can really haunt you afterwards. So you can say something horrible to somebody and then you go, why did I ever say that? I've hurt somebody that I love by saying this terrible thing. And that's happened to me a lot. Well, being a married person happens to me a lot with my husband. It's like, I'll say something really terrible. Why did I say that? You know, then I'll feel terrible about it. But you can also feel terrible about the times that you stayed silent, which I think is a really interesting part of the story too. The times that you could have spoken up, you should have said something and you didn't. Maddie doesn't stop Peggy. It's like if she had stopped her from saying some of those things, she would have felt better about herself. So I think that's also interesting and how we can just be haunted by our actions. I know I can wake up in the middle of the night and say, why did I say that? Or I'll get up and go, why didn't I say this? Why did I stay silent? You know, the two things can be just so tormenting.
1: When you wake up in the middle of the night with those thoughts, is it from something that happened earlier in the day or something that happened 20 years ago?
0: It can be either or both. I'll just like think back. Oh my God, I really heard so and so. Or I'll think of something that my father said to me. I go, why did he say that? I can't get over those words, you know. So I'll think about stuff like that. I don't like to wake up in the middle of the night thinking of things like that. But sometimes if I do, I'll get up and write them down just to sort of get them out of me, just to push them out of my system.
1: <laughs> yeah, you have a really evocative phrase in your book about letting the page hold some sadness, which I love. I should try that because I have the same thing. I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night like, man, I really shouldn't have said that to this person 15 years ago. That probably wasn't nice. I should have said something different. And, you know, I'm sure they don't think about it, but young adult books are sneaky. They don't feel like that intense until you think about them.
0: Exactly. That's what I love about them. I think classic books like this one, they're meant for the child, but they're also meant for the child and the adult that lives on. Like you can get old and old and old and be 100 years old and still that child lives within you. And I think with really good kid books, they're meant to be read by kids and adults. So it's the kind of book that people will say it's for ages 10 and up. So a 10-year-old could read it, but a 50-year-old or a 70-year-old can read it and also get something out of it because there's, again, something deep in the story. The writing is beautiful and lyrical and you can't put it down. I mean, this is a story that I think when you start reading it, you just want to know what's going to happen. What's going to happen with Wanda and Maddie and Peggy? You just want to know. And I think it has all of those elements of a great story like Alice in Wonderland or The Little Prince, these books that are supposedly for kids, but they're also for adults. And so I think That's what makes it so special. And I think this idea, we didn't get to talk about the dresses. I think the dresses, too, are so important. And so getting back to issues of class and status and things like that, so that Wanda can't own actual physical dresses because the family is poor and immigrant, but she can draw them. She can make art, right? So she can envision all these dresses. She can envision a hundred different dresses. She can use her imagination, to create the dresses that her family doesn't have the money to pay for. And so I think that the book is also about the power of art. So she has the power through her visual possibilities, her artistic possibilities to bring those dresses to life and to make them even more beautiful than real dresses, right? I mean, those dresses kind of shine on the paper, they glow. And so I think that's another part of the story that is also about the power of the imagination. They may have heard her, but with her imagination, she also healed herself.
1: Yeah, there was the sense that I got from reading it that Wanda was going to be fine and that these two girls that were making fun of her were going to grow up to live kind of mediocre, middling lives that would make them unhappy. However, in real life, we have no idea what happened to Wanda because she was a real person. And one of these little girls grew up to write this classic book that we're talking about now, 30 years after her death. So I guess being a bully does pay. I don't know what the moral of that story is. <laughs> But maybe like her immortalizing it and telling the story a little bit differently, because when I read this to my kids, they're not going to know the detail that this was a real story. They'll just take away from it. Oh, bullying is bad. And if someone's being a bully, I should say something.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great lesson to take away from it as a kid. I think that's a really wonderful lesson. And maybe also when you think about it from the writing perspective, she was trying to find a way to forgive herself. So I think we also write stories about cruel things that we did or that we were a part of. We write them also to find a way to forgive ourselves. So at least she sought a way to forgive herself by telling the story and in a sense saying, I'm sorry. Maybe she can't say it to the actual Wanda, but the story is a big, I am sorry note.
1: So Ruth, we're going to talk about a time in your childhood where you weren't able to do much of anything. You weren't able to bully and you weren't able to be bullied because you were in a body cast for an entire year. (laughs) We're going to learn why and how and what that was like for you when we come back next week. So thank you for joining me and talking about The 100 Dresses by Eleanor Estes, and we're going to come back next week and talk about Letters from Cuba. If you like this podcast, please rate and review it. It's very important. It really helps the show out. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, scroll down to the section where it says rate and review. Hopefully you're going to select five stars and maybe write us a nice review. Or if you don't like the podcast, write us a bad review. That's fine, too. Thank you so much for listening. The Book Society Podcast is produced by me, Lucas Cantor. You can reach us at Book Society Pod on Instagram, also booksocietypod at gmail.com if you want to send a direct email. Santiago Ramones is the co-producer and also definitely edits the show. He has his own podcast called Bit Depth. It's really good. The best way to find out about Book Society is to go to the Book Society website, BookSocietypod.com. Get on the mailing list. I'm going to send out a newsletter. who I've ever bullied, I'm truly sorry. I didn't mean it, and I'm sorry, and I hope I didn't hurt you too badly, and to anyone who ever bullied me, I forgive you. It's fine. (laughs) Santini Goitia is the name I remember from fifth grade, first person who ever punched me, and you know what? I'm sure you had some shit going on, and I wish you well. (laughs)